Hello, this is Andy Wint. Welcome to a special edition of Man in Line today. Throughout the year, we've been out on location visiting the high schools and the students from the sixth form in the high schools. In the next hour, you'll hear some of their views and their experiences of, well, what's been happening. First, it's to the north of the Isle of Man to catch up with Ramsey Grammar School and Arabella, who tells Beth Espy what it's been like to study through the COVID pandemic. I've had COVID um, twice now, so it was really weird, just really tired and obviously, you know, kind of missing out. I had it during summer, so that first week of the summer holidays was not very fun. Um, but I mean, doing schoolwork and things, that definitely disrupted a lot of my learning. So online learning was, it was a bit of trial and error, really, because teachers were trying to grasp it, we were trying to grasp it. Um, and obviously it took a toll on my GCSEs at the time. I never actually sat the exam. So that means that the last official exam I took was my year six, like, SATs, I think. So A-levels will be um, eventful. Because that's <laughs> the thing, isn't it? And on the face of it, you might think, oh, that's great. I didn't have to do my exams. But yeah. it actually really does pose a great challenge for you now, potentially. No, definitely. I think that it'll be a lot of... Um, practicing you know exam prep um because i know that summer between year 11 and year 12 we weren't really in that minds you know in that kind of mindset of le keeping up with all that knowledge like consolidating all that um all the stuff that we'd learnt for gcse since we didn't have to do the exam so the catch-up in year 12 was quite heavy for me but um yeah and as you say you you've had covid twice have you been mm. okay since having it any lasting effects uh my smell yeah, I know. It's been weird because when I put perfume on and things, I'm like, I, I'm sure that I smell fine. Um, but all I can smell is just like the alcohol, like evaporating. It's really weird, actually, but it just it is what it is now. It really is, isn't yeah. it? Um, Luke, what about you? What do you make of the way that the Isle of Man's responded to the COVID pandemic? To be fair, I think lockdown was probably necessary. I think it was hard for everyone, but um, especially when the weather was nice in summer, it was wasn't ideal getting stuck inside, but it's what, what had to happen at the end of the day, I think. And what about the impact on you personally and studying? So, as I said, it was quite hard to focus when you could look out the window, bright sunshine, heat waves and everything. But I think, like Arabella said, it was a lot of trial and error. It changed quite a lot throughout the whole time. So um, hopefully it, it got better towards the second lockdowns and third and whatever, because you um, could teachers knew what worked. It, was, it wasn't ideal, but we got on with it. Uh, Millie, we are going to move to an endemic approach, which means there's sort of less focus on almost worrying about COVID in the community. How do you feel about that? Is that the right approach, would you say? I think, I, I don't think there'll ever be a right approach per se. I think there'll always be some elements of any approach that will impact people in good ways and bad ways. I think we are approaching a time where we need to not move on from it but almost try and work around it and fit our lives around it rather than letting it just control our lives completely and I think hopefully things will start to get more normal if we start to accept that it's a thing that we have to live with for now at least and um, see what happens in the future. Adam what do you think how's the past couple of years been for you? Um, well the past couple of years have been difficult um, obviously uh, lots of change, lots of stuff has changed, but at that time it didn't affect me massively purely because I didn't have that many worries over the GCSEs, that was my primary worry. I think in the future, if I'm all right to move on to the future a little bit, um, A-levels are coming around the corner with COVID, 
that's kind of just become a secondary issue for me. Uh, obviously, it's massive, but A-levels are stressful, as they are. Um, but the approach in uni in September, I'm slightly worried that the stuff with COVID and Ukraine and all these massive world issues um, are going to start affecting that as well. So I think it's all quite stressful. Now to King William's College in the ancient capital of Castletown. Philip tells us how the pandemic's affected his generation. I believe it's affected our generation very much, especially with the study techniques and uh, study ethics as well. Um, for example, I can only speak for myself, but I feel like others would feel the same. Um, our, we study less, um, we tend to be more lazy, as we had pretty much in my country, which is Slovakia, we had one year online school. So um, that definitely affected uh, my personal studying as the time you spent like seven hours on the co in front of the computer every day, which wasn't great. Then you didn't really have the, um, the time to study in the afternoon, nor the want to study. Uh, Robbie, how was COVID for you? I mean, you're at KWC then. Was the, did you, you studied remotely, did you? Uh, yeah, so um, I moved from London at the start of uh, lockdown. Um, so I had my first year in lockdown over here was actually at my old school, um, which was quite an odd thing, uh, going out. I had very different rules. Say that again. You were the, your first year of lockdown was at your old school. At my old school, yeah. So, uh, I, in fact, I was in a different country, but I was still at school back in London. Um, so, I, compared to my friends, I had lots of different rules. I could go out for exercise, where often they'd be stuck um, dealing with different rules. So, for me, I was a lot more free. Um, and do you know what you're going to do for university? Have you worked that out yet? Um, I don't know where I'm going, but I'm looking to study medicine. Okay, um, with a view to doing what? Um, I, I'm intrigued in emergency medicine, so um, yeah, looking to go down that route. Is that your idea, or does it run in the family? Or? It, it does run in the family, but um, definitely my view. I've, I've thought about it and been put off from uh, seeing everyone working too hard. Uh, Ernst is with us, uh, Ernst Hoffman as well, um, from Berlin. Ernst, is that right? Yes, that's right. How long have you been at King Williams College? For one month. One month? Yeah. Okay, and what, what's your uh, opinion of the Isle of Man so far? Oh, it's, I think, a great place. It's very small, and, yeah, it's, it's different to Berlin. Very different yeah. to Berlin as well. What brought you to the Isle of Man? Why? Well, because I think it's um, a very nice school here. You have very small classes, and I never experienced boarding before, and I wanted to do something new. Okay, um, I mean, if nobody's ever been to Berlin, what, how could you describe Berlin? Oh, it's the capital of Germany. Four million people live in there. We have lots of different areas. Um, it's a fun place. Yeah, it's a fun place. And there's always something going on. You get never bored. Sure. Weather is changing, but it's quite good most of the time. Well, you can tell us a month ago now, um, what's, uh, what's the view in Germany about what's happening in Ukraine? Oh, well, we are... We tr try to support Ukraine as much as possible, but we have like a pipe which is leaking at the time, so we have to be a bit careful because otherwise we get no gas. Or yeah, Germany's been backed into a corner over Nord yeah. Stream, hasn't it? Yeah, we're getting no gas at the moment, and probably um, the tanks will run out in January, so then 
we have to find a new way. Uh, Ned Crellins here. Ned, who's the Chief Minister of the Isle of Man? Uh, Howard Quayle. Uh, okay. Uh, Rob, Robbie Davis, who's the Chief Minister of the Isle of Man? I don't know, sorry. Okay. Um, uh, let me see. Bethan, who's the Chief Minister of the Isle of Man? I, I don't know either, I'm sorry. Oh, uh, he's an old Barovian. Well, let me see. Bella, who's the Chief Minister of the Isle of Man? Is it Alf Cannon? It is Alf Cannon as well. Okay. Can you, who else can name... Oh, who should we have here? Uh, oh, back to Ned, yes. <laughs> name me three Manx politicians, Ned. Um... Uh, Miss Paul Wilson. Yes. Um, Two to go. No cheating. Uh, no cheating. Can I pass it on? Yes, of course you can. Who uh, else wants to? Okay, so it'll be Bethan. Bethan. Any more Manx politicians? I'm good. I'm, yeah, I'm good. Okay, all right. I think. Uh, oh, oh let's, well, Bella, the font of all knowledge. Manx, two, uh, three more Manx politicians. Um, Jason Morehouse. Yeah. And then Tim Glover. Yes, the two MHKs. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And then, do I do one more? One more. Um, I don't. I don't know if I can class, but my mum, um, Diane Kelsey. Well, as we get deeper into the discussion, I asked Jenna if she thinks recreational cannabis should be legalised. Well, Jenna grew up in South Africa, where medicinal cannabis is legal to grow, and she's got serious concerns for Britain. So I'm from South Africa, and in South Africa, it actually is legalised. Um, and I think it's really wrong. And to be taking a recreational drug like that, it really does mess with your with your education and thinking. And since if it's legalized, it becomes much more common and normal and so many more people are doing it. And it's really just affecting their life, essentially, and um, limiting them to their future opportunities. Uh, so in South Africa, yes. recreational cannabis is 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 legal. Yes, but yes, who it is. who provides it? Is it the criminal fraternity provides it, um, or is there a state I source of it? It's illegal to sell it, but it is legal to grow it and use it. Right. So um, yeah, I think the vast majority of South Africans that grow um, cannabis. Um, use it personally, but some do actually sell it to others. Do you think recreational cannabis will become legal everywhere eventually? Um, I really hope not. No. Um, it really isn't a good thing, and it's becoming more and more popular um, for younger generations, and it's really just not worth it. Back to Ramsey Grammar School now. Let's catch up with Will, who tells us what he does in his spare time. Um, I stay at home on my sim racing rig. That's what I do. Oh, really? Yeah. And what's the longest you've played that? Probably about 12 hours. Really? Yeah. 12 hours? With, yeah. a, with or without food? Oh, no, that was with food and everything, yeah. yeah. I can't okay. go that long. You see, it's, it's, it's Formula One racing, so it's only about two hours. It's not like an endurance race you get on like one of those online Le Mans races. First off, I'm not good enough to get into them. And second off, I just find it more casual and more fun. And how long have you been um, playing? Uh, sim racing, I've been doing probably about three, four years. Yeah? Yeah. What machine have you got? Uh, I've got a, um, a Logitech G920 wheel with a GT Omega stand. I play on an Xbox Series X. And Hayley, um, have you got one of those? No. <laughs> no, I don't. Do you play computer games? No. No? What do you do for fun in Ramsey? Um, I just hang out with friends, I guess. I don't really do much in Ramsey, to be honest. I spend either time at home and I read or I'm, you know, 
socialising over other things, but uh, usually I'm in Douglas. I mean, there's not an excess amount. I think especially when you get to kind of our age and the, like, you're like the tail end of secondary school, it does become, you know, you've kind of, you've gone bowling enough times and it's nice to go again, but I think the main issue is there's not a lot of places for kind of like young adults to kind of just exist and be without, you know, being a bother to people who don't want us there, like stuff like the parks and stuff. There's younger people there. It's quite difficult to find anywhere. Because I think that's what most of us want to do. It's, we just want to kind of hang out with our friends. And I think it can be quite difficult when there's, there's just no places that facilitates that, I think. And what do you think could there be? What could there be? It's difficult to say, really. I mean, it's places like, like, places like the Morrig Park are great, but it's difficult when that place is such a already kind of haven for younger people and families and stuff. It's, it's difficult to say. There was, there was that plan a while ago to build a big thing in Ramsey, but, I, I mean, that wouldn't work. Again, that's more for families. So it's one, of, it's one of those issues where it'd be lovely if there was kind of like a youth centre type thing where we could just kind of exist, but it's, it's hard to know, really. Ivo, are you in your last year at Ramsey? Oh, I am. I'm in year 13. OK, so you're heading to university next year? Hopefully so, yes. Do you know where you're going? Uh, I'm hoping to go to London School of Economics. That's my main choice. Jolly good. And what's that going to lead to? Uh, I'm hoping to go to journalism. I want to get a job in the BBC and uh, see where that takes me. OK. With a view to doing what? I mean, where did that ambition come from? Well, I love history and politics. I've always loved politics, talk about politics, think about politics. And, yeah, talking about politics. So I think a good job to get through that would be to talk about politics. Uh, has COVID affected you over the past two years? Uh, it's affected everyone. We've all just stay indoors. It's been a bit annoying. It's been all right. I mean, you don't mind me asking, have you had COVID? I have, yes. I've How had it twice. It? I was okay with it. Um, my parents, when they had it, were a lot um, worse off than I was. Obviously, I've had the jab, so I wasn't too bad with it because of that. But, um, you know, I, I was okay. Uh, Althea, um, this is your final year, yeah? Yes, it is. Okay, and are you heading to university? Yes, I'm applying. <clears throat> Sorry, I've applied and set up application. Uh, uh, who's given you the help? Have you had much help? Looking um, at your options. I've helped with some teachers at school. They've given me kind of advice on how to go about applying, but I've made connections through work experience with professionals in physiotherapy, because that's what I've applied to, and they've helped me kind of shape my personal statement and what to look for when I'm applying and how I should present myself. What sort of work experience do you do in physiotherapy? So I think two years ago I was doing a placement at Nobles Hospital, so I worked in about four of their physiotherapy units over two days. And then over the summer, I worked for a couple of days with Jane Cowley up in Mackled. So it's just kind of experiencing and sitting in with assessments, watching how they treat their patients and how they kind of form relationships to better the life of the patient. What sort of physiotherapy are you looking at? I'm really interested in neurological physiotherapy. So a lot of stroke patients, because when I went to the hospital, I saw that's where you have the most long-term patients. You can really build relationships with them over a long period of time. Um, I want to ask, uh, uh, well, Althea, I uh, just want to ask you about protest. We've seen a lot about protest, and in the context of things like Ukraine and Iran and what have you, uh, what do you think about people who protest? The protests against uh, petrochemicals, people throwing um, tomato soup at Van Gogh or sticking themselves, gluing themselves to roads. What do you think of that? I think that protests can be really effective in kind of getting the point across, but there's certain ways that People go about it that kind of make the public view the opposite side of your argument. So if someone was trying to like argue about a certain point, but then they'll make a big deal about it in a way that causes like a public outcry. It just kind of the public then choose not to support 
what they're protesting. So if like someone was saying um, like abortion rights or something, and then some woman said something completely controversial and then a huge public outcry, and they did something, like there's a certain act they did, or they, I don't know, they went to get like attack some, someone, or they were targeting certain people. It's kind of, it's beside the point of what they're trying to do. Okay, well, I just generally, I just generally find there's a lot of irony in the way they do it. Like, there was this, I think it was it was all across the news, anyone who watched them, the football match, it was, it was an Everton game, and this um, oil protester zip-tied himself to one of the goalposts to, like, get across the message, we need to stop using, like, oil and, like, single-use plastics and stuff. But the irony was he was using a zip tie that was made from a single-use plastic. So, ultimately, what point are you trying to get across? You're going against what you're trying to protest in your own protest. If you're going to do it, you've got to be effective. You've got to make it make sense. Like, to be honest, and you've got to be safe about it as well. Like, the British Grand Prix. I know I'm going back to it again, but um, thankfully they didn't get a lot of airtime, but these, these, quite frankly, morons went onto the Wellington Strait, glued themselves to the racetrack in protest against the oil. If there had not been a red flag the corner before causing all the cars to slow down, you know, there would have been those people glued on track with cars coming at them at 150 miles an hour. That's not the way to protest. The way you protest is by getting other people on your side. You've got to be relatable. You've got to be, you've got to be safe. You've got to be kind. You've got to stick to your values. Okay, Oscar? Interestingly, I think all the examples everyone has just raised were by a, a society of, I don't know if it's a company or whatever, called Just Stop Oil, I'm pretty sure. Now, Just Stop Oil are surrounded by a lot of controversy anyway. So I would say it's, it's quite... It's, I think the irony that we take from it and say, oh, yeah, and I fully agree that the idea of someone tying themselves with a cable tie to something when they're protesting oil is a little bit funny. That it's, that it's like, how do you not see? But I think it's even more ironic that we are looking at these ideas. First of all, again, there's lots of con controversy. I'm not saying where I personally think, because I don't think I'm well-read on it enough, but I think that like, there's a, this idea that Just Stop Oil is actually funded by um, a parent company called Getty Oil. And the idea is that they're making them look really silly, which I don't know if that's necessarily true. The Van Gogh thing that you mentioned was quite interesting in that everyone was like, this is so shocking when the point of what they were doing, whether you agree with this or not, I'm not saying whether I do, the idea was that we were all so outraged when the idea that they were trying to prove was that we value art so much more than we value our world. And everyone proved that point by valuing the art so much more. But it's this idea of we're all like, oh, wow, these silly protesters, when in fact that there's loads of protesters that are doing legitimate protests. And just like kind of we were talking about with Ivo, is it's this news agenda. It's that they use these protesters to be like, oh, what silly protesters? So silly when there's loads of legitimate ones, when we're all focusing on the few small examples that could even be illegitimate, and we're all kind of blowing them up and being like, isn't this silly? We should do something better, when really there are people doing something better. Okay, Josh? So often they're using these examples of these silly protesters to draw a distinction between what is good and what is profane, so to speak. And another issue with the large news agenda that these companies have, especially with the BBC, the big problem is they're apolitical unless it comes to the monarchy. And 
I just going back to the pro just stop oil protesters. Why would you focus on a several hundred year old painting instead of actually just campaigning against paint shops selling oil painting oil paint to new customers? Okay, Daniel. Uh, I've got a couple points. Uh, the thing that Josh said about the monarchy, I, I think it's important not to ignore the fact that the uh, the British monarchy has had a an over. I personally think an overwhelming positive effect on the country. It's a great source of national, I think, unity. You know, it's it, and there there have been role models in that family to look at. Some others potentially not, but um, I think it's as I say potentially. Um, a great thing for the country and it was right to have good coverage of the Queen's death um, however like I say there are certain like, as we've said there are certain I guess agendas in the news and linking back to the, the protest I think the right to protest about your beliefs is massively important if you deny that right you deny societal change as a whole okay Luke yeah I think just the way devil's advocate as well are, are we it could be argued that we're driving these so-called stupid protests by not reading into them enough. I think, realistically, people get so outraged about gluing, gluing themselves onto racetracks, disturbing sports matches and stuff. But would you know what these guys were standing for if they didn't do that? I think that's quite an important question to ask. Hayley, why is everybody wearing lanyards? <laughs> it's a new rule that's been put in place by our new headmistress. I don't quite understand the whole point of them i think it's said that we can tell that we're from the school but i don't if you're wearing it for the kids who are in year 70 year 11 they are in uniform we can see that they go to rgs but right. when and so it's it's kind of like a i don't really understand the point and also when you get to sixth form who's going to be sneaking into school posing as a sixth former to do education that they don't want to do necessarily okay daniel uh, I personally, I see why there could be method behind the quote-unquote madness, I guess. Um, you know, it's important for safety. Safety is a massive issue uh, on a worldwide perspective for school children. Um, you personally, you have an RGS visitor's lanyard, which I think is, as I say, it's important. It's important to, um, for, for the safety of, of the students, so we just don't get random people walking to school, obviously. Um, but at the same time, I understand why people are asking, could there have been a better use of the school budget when there's more pressing problems? There's bullying, um, there's, um, you know, a lot of vandalism. Yes, there's, there's other stuff that I think could be, the money could be used for. Okay, Luke? Yeah, I completely agree. I think as well, coming out of COVID as well, just get starting to get back to normal. I think there's just been a lot of changes recently that, I think maybe aren't necessarily needed, just putting a bit more stress on, on people when they're coming back to school every day from being at home, locked in the house. I just think maybe we just need to get back to normal a bit and, like Daniel said, the budget could be used on a lot more efficient things. Okay, Oscar? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and speak as apathetically as possible on the issue, but I think one thing that's happening in the Alaman in general, and whether this is a good thing or bad thing, it will change on who you ask, is um, a lot of the... Uh, schools, both primary and secondary, are being Britishized. So you get, like, for example, the primary schools are currently getting um, one headmaster for our mistress, um, head leader for the all, all for multiple yeah. schools. Um, and I think if you look at kind of like the secondary schools, like lanyards are very commonplace in. Uh, 
British schools in a lot of them. And I think one thing that's happening on all levels, whether it's a good or bad thing, is the Isle of Man. I mean, we are our own place, but the Isle of Man, the school system in particular, is kind of doing this British size, which isn't a word. Hayley? I mean... I have to say, even though, yeah, we're maybe getting Britishised to quote Oscar for the lanyards, if if you look at other schools on the island, no no other school on the island, secondary school, uses lanyards. It, apart from Bala, apparently. But I know QE2 don't, and I know they don't have the issue of random kids walking into the school and posing as QE2 students. So, yeah. Okay, Josh? Regarding the arguable misuse of the school budget, what about the mental health issues that a lot of people have been dealing with? For example, how suicide is the largest cause of death among young people. Now that was Ramsey Grammar School, sixth form students on a very special edition of Man in Line, looking back over the past year as we head into Christmas 2022. Next on Man in Line, we'll head to Castle Russian High School in Castletown and remember what they had to say about Elon Musk. Welcome back to this pre-Christmas edition of Man in Line. I'm Andy Wint, and we've been looking back over the past year, 2022, when Man in Line's been on the road, on location, visiting sixth-form students of the high schools. So far, we've been to King Williams College and Ramsey Grammar School. Now let's uh, look back to our visit at Castle Russian High School in October and remember what they had to say about Elon Musk. Um, he's a controversial man, um... You could say he's doing good for the world with, you know, Tesla, his electric cars, but then you have to look at, is he paying his staff right? Is he treating them right? Um, and is he paying his taxes? Uh, he's about to buy Twitter as well, isn't he? Oh, I. So, um, he's, uh, I mean, on Monday we were at, Royal, at uh, Ramsey Grammar School. They called him a filthy capitalist. I'd say that's a fair analogy. <laughs> this is Luke, and I asked Luke... What about legalising recreational cannabis? Oh, it can be uh, controlled, taxed, and then it's actually been shown in research that in both Portugal and the Netherlands, once it's been decriminalised and legalised, uh, cannabis use actually goes down among the young generations. Okay. Uh, well, at the moment, of course, supplying it is criminal, and possession can of, uh, sometimes be criminal. So do you think that's going to help young people, I mean, being, there being more cannabis around? Do you think it will help? Definitely, because then you, it's, you know the risk you're taking, such as drinking alcohol. You know what's, uh, what could happen to you. Therefore, you know, once, once there's all this information around, like freely available without the taboo about it, um, people will be definitely more sensible with how they consume it. Okay, James? Um, uh, um, I think in terms of cannabis, a lot of the reason that so many people use it, like people use it, that's known. Yeah. Um, but I think the reason that so many people use it is because it's illegal. Because, because you're not allowed to use it, it's... Oh, because it's forbidden. Yeah, because you're not allowed to do it, that means you're breaking the rules, so that's cool and... Yeah. Um, I think if you were to stop that, it would stop being so cool. And also, if you were to, if it was to be controlled, you could control what's in it. Because the main, one of the main um, reasons that cannabis is dangerous is because there could be goodness knows what else mm. in it that you're actually uh, taking in. 
and you don't know that. But if it was, if you had licenses and there was checks on who was making it, then you could make sure that that it was just cannabis and it wasn't anything. Goodness knows what else. Okay, Harry. Uh, I believe. Well, currently on the Isle of Man, there is a massive drug problem. Yeah. This is very well known. And I think lots of people are kind of in denial about that. And also, lots of people, which is it's helpful that you say this. Lots of people think young people don't know that. Oh, we do, and we are fully aware of it. Um, like, it's it's not just around Douglas area. You know, we've got Port Erin. You know, it's it. People know. People know, people are aware, and people have to live with this. And young people know the people who sell it. Oh, 100%. If, like, you know, I could name everyone. Please don't. I will not, don't you worry. <laughs> I'm no snitch. But it's like, there's, there's, there's this... Um, older people tend to, uh, I think, not talk about these problems. And if you don't talk about it, then they think it just goes away. Whereas I think what we're doing now here is talking about it, and I... Cannabis, I believe, should be legalised. Uh, it's, again, like James said, it's a lot to do with the control of it. It can be taxed. It is a um, definitely not something that uh, younger people should be doing. It impairs uh, brain development. Uh, this, this has been shown in younger people. Um, once you get to an age where your brain is fully developed, I think that is the, the age that it should be legalised. Um, and... I think that would overall improve the 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 taboo. Okay, James again. I think if I think it's similar to alcohol. If we were to have discovered alcohol and it was still illegal, I th or it wasn't nothing was illegalized. I think if we discovered it now, alcohol would absolutely be illegal. But because we've had it for so long, we've been able to control it, and that's why you make it illegal. For people that have still got developing brains to have, um, and once you've got, once your brain is developed, and there's no, not as much of a risk of it like affecting you later in life, that's when you can use it, and it's a lot safer then. So, um, just like alcohol is now, there are low alcohol products. There are there's beer and then there's wine and then spirits which have got that's what will happen with cannabis in the future there'll be low strength and high strength yeah i think there's there's definitely if it's if it's legalized it would definitely become another industry that would help the manx economy um i think a lot similar to alcohol many people say there's medicinal properties there's it helps people along with alcohol some certain alcohol like you use it in hand sanitizers. If we did, if we illegalized uh, alcohol, all of that would have gone away, and it would be so it would be so much harder. Uh, what, what do you think the state of uh, human rights is uh, currently? I mean, you you pay much attention to what happens around the world with um, human rights. I believe that we made very good progress, but now we're starting to go back a bit. You look at the. And it's very controversial, but the abortion laws in America and things like that, and it's getting to a point where we have two very opposite factions, and instead of coming to compromise, they've kind of just resulted in arguing across social media rather than actually talking about it. Do you think that's the fault of social media, or do you think it's the way people are? I think it's kind of... I think it's been a long time coming, 
I think a lot of people don't really like to have, like, they don't like to have actual proper arguments anymore. And you can kind of see it in our politics, like, instead of people going in and trying to make change, and as people kind of going up to Parliament and trying to talk to these people, we kind of just sit on our phones and, like, put a bunch of mean words on Twitter about it instead. Uh, Lola, what do you think of cancel culture? I think it's getting to a point where it's almost ridiculous. We have these people that can do awful things, and then we kind of cancel them, and then they come back and we act like nothing happened and you see it in you see it in school all the time someone will hurt someone and then you'll push them away and then a week or two later they're your friend again but that's how children are and the fact that like we have politicians partaking in this it is childlike okay um harry um what do you think about this issue of cancel culture um i i believe it's partly necessary i feel like some I don't know. There's some big people who you could call out and say, don't want to see them anymore. You know, they shouldn't be on the internet at all. Um, whereas other people who do like very mundane things that end up being cancelled, I think that that is pushing it too far. And we're nitpicking on things that we do as a society. Everyone does. But yet we're choosing to pick out these individual people and just berate them for mm. everything they've ever done. When you say, uh, what sort of things? I'm not sure. There's like, there's a lot of just people's relationships. I feel like that is a lot of it. They say two people on the internet, they have a relationship, they break up, things get messy. One of them will get cancelled for it. And it's just, I don't believe that is how the world should work. I think that people shouldn't be given such big platforms um, that would just end up doing this. There's um, there's a point of where role models turn into something else and they become negative. And it's, I don't believe that we should have them in the world. So uh, tell me, Harry, what is there to do for young people in the south of the Isle of Man in Castletown? That is a uh, good question. Um, I mean, there's quite a lot of sports going on. Do you play sport yourself? Yeah, I do play sport. What do you play? I play hockey mostly. Um, so there's, there, there is quite a lot of opportunities there, um, which I personally am thankful for. Um, but other than that, if you're not sporty, there's not really anything else for you personally, I don't think, to do. I mean, like all my friends have just started getting driving licenses. So we've been able to, you know, go out a bit more, venture up to Douglas, which is a miracle. Um, but, you know, it's, it, there's not really a lot to do down south unless it's warm. And, in the... and obviously it involves alcohol as well because, um, you know, there are pubs. Well, there's a nightclub in Port Erin, I think, isn't there? Uh, is that the Riddler? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, but apart from that, I mean, what do, you, what do you do apart from, you know, nip around in the car? Seriously, that's it. McDonald's. There's McDonald's. You go up to McDonald's, sit on Douglas' head, and that's about it, you know. Um, there's, you can hang out with your friends, but... That's that's pretty much it. There's no, like, I mean, I don't know what kids would do. There's not really any opportunities. Mm. Okay. Anybody use the swimming pool at, uh, at Castle Russian? James, you don't use the swimming pool? 
I, I no. Not even the snack bar. Oh, the snack bar's gone, isn't it? The snack bar closed down, even though there was millions of year nines. The students of Castle Russian High School, and you're listening to a special edition of Man in Line as we look back at the schools Man in Line visited in 2022. Our final stop of the year was Balakameen High School, and the students there, as usual, didn't hold anything back. So let's get straight to the discussion, as Elise tells us there should be more done with sex education in schools. So I think that the sex education that we receive in school is insufficient. So... I remember doing it in year seven, as I'm sure everyone else does. And then I remember doing it again in the end of year 12, I believe. And it was basically a few PSHE lessons, as they call it, with our tutor in sixth form time. So it was like 25 minutes, for like twice in the whole of year 12. So that was about all we got. And I think that a lot of students found it uncomfortable because obviously it's your tutor that you speak to. You know, they know who you are. If you would have questions, it would be quite awkward. And I think that they need to consider bringing someone in who's like a professional. Someone, obviously, this is no disrespect to the teachers. They did, considering the facilities and like what they had to offer, they did, they did a good job, but it was insufficient. And I think one major thing that was missed out was the presence of abortion care on the Isle of Man. So I think we're spoken about STIs and infections and things like that and all like the, the bad bits, but they don't tell us about things that we can do. So like contraception or, you know, the emergency contraceptive pill itself and the pills that you can get at the doctors and they don't tell you about the facilities that we do have on island because everyone seems to think that you need to get a boat or a plane and go across to get one but um you can actually get one here up to 10 weeks sometimes they may send you away for that which obviously isn't great so i think that does need to be developed a lot but in some cases they can perform one over here but i think that that needs to be told to us we need to be informed about all of our options and we need to be encouraged to speak to places such as the the family planning clinic and you know if they were to hire an expert to come into school that would be incredible and the fact that so many people don't know that we do have it's very limited and it does need to be progressed and updated but we do have very very limited abortion care here which should, if possible, be taken advantage of. It's a very, it's, it's a very touchy subject. Oh, it is, it? yeah. And, and, and it's definitely uh, not enough, what we have. Definitely not, not by far. And a controversial subject as well. Because mm-hmm. So, I mean, why do you think it's the school's responsibility to do this? The school's responsibility to do what? In, to enhance, sex, to ed- enhance it. sex education, yes. So I don't think that the school need to do anything differently themselves. I think they need to bring someone in. Oh, I see, yeah. So I'm not saying it's the school's responsibility, it's as an institution. I'm essentially saying that, because obviously this couldn't just come from Balakameen, this would have to be island-wide. We would have to do this for every school. And I think it's important that we introduce something like this because it's such a big part of your health. Is this more important for, uh, for young women or young men? Um, I don't think there's really any differentiation. Like I think that we should all be taught about it the same because just because a girl would be the one to get pregnant doesn't mean that the man doesn't have any responsibility like that's i don't i can understand why someone might suggest that but i don't agree um it takes two sure by all means um but um as i mentioned it's a it's, it's a hot topic it's oh a very, definitely very hot topic definitely. and uh, as as has always been uh, some people will say that you know p- people of 15 16 are mature enough 
to get the sort of information as you intimate. People mm. do need as much information as I understand as, as that, possible. however, we should be brought up with this knowledge from a younger age than 15, 16. I think this should be a continuous, a continuous type of education that's right. provided and updated every year. Angela? Um, I think backing what Elise said is there, there is very little education in school. In year seven, you are taught, you know, the male and female anatomy, but there is very little education on anything outside of what the male and female anatomy is. Everyone, no one learns about, um, there's no talk of healthcare, there's no talk of, like, STD clinics and how the screening works. We didn't hear about consent or STDs until we were in year 12, so, we were, so many people were already 17 when they were hearing about an STD clinic for the first time, and that won't be the first time someone's needed it in the whole of the Isle of Man under the age of 17. So they're well into the age of consent by they're then. Well, yeah, they're well into the age of consent and they don't know their options for contraception, abortion and STDs and they are being kind of, and the way it's <laughs> spoken about is quite taboo and it's not and as Ali said it being a teacher talking to you about it you don't have that same kind of like this is a medical professional who can yeah. actually recommend or help you. So it needs to be more matter of fact rather than. Yeah it needs to be it needs to be more matter of fact it needs to be a professional healthcare worker, it needs to be someone who is an expert in that field. Because if I asked my tutor about um, contraception options, he, he's going to be uncomfortable, I'm going to be uncomfortable. That's not something that can happen in schools. Okay, Joshua? Um, yeah, I mean, my hand was up just a second ago uh, because uh, of a comment about uh, people under the age of 16 being immature, therefore maybe they shouldn't be educated. I think regardless of maturity, irrespective of that, I think... Because it's something that's going to happen regardless, I think it's something that uh, people should be educated on. Um, and even, even if certain individuals don't think um, that people of a certain age uh, should be engaging in that activity, I mean, that, that's, that's fair enough for that person to have that opinion. But that, do, that opinion doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. And everyone knows that it is going to happen. And because it's going to happen, it should be educated on regardless. I don't think education is going to result in that activity either. And so how do we keep morals out of this? Because obviously older people will talk about morals. They'll, they'll, uh, and this has always been a subject with, with what we used to call teenagers, uh, about knowing about sex, knowing about sexual health, that morals come into this. Okay, uh, Elise. So obviously you're discussing morals. I think that if a person doesn't agree with it or doesn't believe in it, then don't do it. Like our decisions shouldn't be based off another's opinion. That's like saying, I'm vegetarian, so you can't eat meat. Like, it's a completely different situation. It's a completely different person. And I personally, I don't know about my friends in the room, but if I was to be judged by someone from the older generation, I wouldn't actually care. Okay, Graham? Yes, I, I wholeheartedly agree with what Lisa's saying. Um, I understand... Well, I... Frankly, I'm not even entirely sure what you mean by, by morals in this I'm postulating. Sense. I'm just putting it out. So well, that what, what would you define that as? No, it's not my definition. I'm just introducing the, the, the subject in that older people have always judged younger people asking about sex. Okay. So, so And lots of older people hate the thought of younger people having sex. Lots of parents hate the thought of their daughters and sons having sex. So having sexual... Uh, sex education in school, um, I'd just like to know what, at what level you think that would be. I mean, I, I completely understand that, yes, it is an awkward topic. I mean, I don't think That's anyone's disputing about that. Yeah, yes, yeah. Um, but I think that there are different levels, and I think that should be introduced as early as possible and before people would be sexually active, typically. Um, too, like my, my friends have said, make it 
less of a taboo subject. I mean, I, I know it's something you do in private, but um, healthcare surrounding it should not be as taboo as the act itself. And I think introducing that at the beginning of high school is a way of mediating that. And obviously, if, if uh, sexual behaviour leads people into situations, you know, obviously if a, a young woman gets pregnant, mm -hmm. then a decision has to be taken whether or not the child lives or is aborted and what happens in the future. So decisions taken at that age can affect someone's life complete life. Yes, definitely. And I think um, with the when, when the abortion laws came through on the Isle of Man, which was in 2016, um, there was uh, there was some interesting retaliation from a anti-choice group um, that had some very provocative imagery that was... Oh, I, the people on Strand Street. Yes, yeah. yeah put and the I, pictures out, yeah. And I, I think that the legislation that came in as a result of the Handmaid's Protest and CALM um, was so influential in um, making it more accessible. Where we have one of the the most progressive abortion laws in the UK. I mean, we're the only place that has it decriminalised. Um, and furthermore, it's their use. They in in the laws um, they forbid such pro provocative imagery around like abortion health clinics. And I think that is another step in um, making it a more safe choice for women in doing that. Okay, it's a hard choice. Kaylin. Well, I've got a couple of points. One of them mainly being on your wording is when speaking of like underage pregnancies or underage or teenage pregnancies is the fact you would refer to as the fetus being a child. Mm -hmm. Mainly it's sort of seen as being against abortion to refer to a fetus as a child as it's at that point through most of pregnancy just a singular clump of cells. Yeah. It's got no consciousness, no real structure to anything, no proper organ systems or anything. It's just a couple of cells that may eventually become the skin cells or really anything. And then it's also the fact of, sure, yes, like the younger generation it would be judged from wanting to talk about sex and everything, but I feel like that stigmatism needs to be removed because that then also affects things to do with like the rates of teenage pregnancy and things because mainly, especially as we'd said earlier about around like year nine, year ten, they sort of get this sort of little man syndrome where they see as things being mainly for older people and they go, I'm at the point where I'm getting to the point where I'm getting close to that age, so I need to act sort of higher than I actually am. And it then causes them to make what we refer to as being stupid decisions and it then leads to so on and so forth and then it ends up with, because of the lack of education with how abortions should like how what we should do for to get an abortion it then leads to those being either gone to full term or having it going on extremely late and with things that happen with abortion a lot of the time then they go across they're given a pill they take the pill they get on the plane back and then on the plane it ends up happening and the abortion goes through while they're on a the plane which isn't the best place to have it at so it's mainly the fact that it's the education of how to get an abortion and what to do whilst as well as just removing most to all the stigmatism because it ends up making the situation a lot worse. Okay, Angela. Um, I think backing up what Greya and what Elise said is it's not about morality, it's about health and it's about life. A teenager being 14 and not knowing they have access to contraception and abortion could cause a stillborn, it could even cause death of the teenager. And are we really saying that stigmatism is more important than the life of a child who is actually a fully born, fully functional child? Or are we saying that their health is less important than our morality? Elise? 
I'd just like to say that I agree with Kaylin about the way that you phrased that question. So when you stated that it's a huge decision as to whether the child lives or is aborted. So I think referring to it as a child, like Kaylin said, is something that it's not. It obviously has the potential to become one in the future, but right now it couldn't survive without the mother or the, pe the pregnant person. And I think that by you saying whether the child lives kind of suggests that it would be... You, that you're killing a, an actual child, okay. whereas... Well, we've come a long so, way from uh, more oh, sex education. Definitely, that, that but I, just, I, mean. but, I uh, just think because it's such a touchy subject, oh, maybe great. phrase it a bit differently. Well, no, I appreciate that. Thanks for that. Um, no, it, you're it's, welcome. Uh, it's, but the fact that more, edu more, uh, more sex education has to arrive... I'm just wondering where that would come from. Is that the, the, you think the government, the school's going to organise that? Because it would be the government um, that would have to decide that. Well, it would be, it would obviously have to be brought forward to the government because, you know, they they need to be made aware because they're right. clearly not, otherwise something would have been done. Okay, Angela? I think it's the, like, schools and the school board in general and the government will kind of work in tandem towards this because things like Planned Parenthood, you can speak to Planned Parenthood through the UCM. So the UCM can actually get you in contact with Planned Parenthood and they can actually help you towards... And they have the services to try and, like, help you towards a decision and whatever, and they have counselling services. So I think if the UCM can do it, then the government and the Isle of Man Education boards can definitely work to do that towards schools and to get better healthcare inside of schools to help sex education. Okay, Josh. Sure. Yeah, absolutely, I agree. I was just going to say, it, it depends who it's coming from, because, I mean, school, of course, has the right to change all of their curriculums. So a school, in school, schools invite guests, guest speakers in uh, very frequently, so I don't think it would be particularly difficult for a school like Balakameen to organise that themselves. If they wanted to include that in the curriculum, they could do that fairly easily. Um, but, of course, if it, if it was going to be something that was done island-wide, then it would have to come uh, from the Department of Education and the national curriculum would have to be changed. Well, there you have it, the views of our high school students. You've been listening to the special edition of Man in Line, looking back at the high school visits and broadcasts and the opinions of the sixth form students from across the Isle of Man. I want to thank everybody involved in the broadcast. When you hear them live on air, it's just me and the students. But I want to thank all the school liaison officers at the high schools, also from Manx Radio, Matty Cunningham in the engineering department, to Chris Quirk and Barry Redfern and Howie Kane and Beth Espy in programming. Looking forward to more high school broadcasts for Man in Line in 2023. So from everyone on the program, I wish you a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year.